This is John 1, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, I am an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lizzie. Well, this fall, what we're going to be doing in this portion of our worship services uh, when we uh, look at different scriptures, uh, passages of scripture, we're going to be taking on this massive concept in the Bible called the kingdom of God. What in the world does that mean? Unpacking that week in and week out. But that'll start next week. For today, Labor Day, one-off, kind of a strange Sunday, uh, I thought instead, before we jump into that and pivot into the fall proper, um, that we would just look at one particular aspect of our church. And I want to look at one aspect of our church in a way that may seem a little odd, it may seem a little strange. We're going to look at this this brief little passage to do it. And in fact, all we're really going to do is look at uh, three words in it and really drill down on what do those three words mean. But to do this, let let me just kind of walk you through the story real quick, just so that we're all, we kind of have a lay of the land of what's going on. You've got three main characters in the story. You've got Jesus, you've got this guy named Philip, and you have Philip's buddy, Nathaniel. So Jesus, Philip, in Nathaniel. And the story begins in verse 43 where Jesus approaches Philip and he says, Philip, follow me. And for whatever reason, that was uh, compelling enough for Philip to begin to say, okay, I'm going to apprentice myself to this guy, Jesus. And he goes and follows Jesus. And as he's following Jesus, he kind of gets geeked out and gets excited. And uh, he goes to his buddy, Nathaniel, and he's like, dude, you got to check out this Jesus guy. He's awesome. Look at verse 45. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel hears that and listen to his reaction. It's like uber snarky. It's awesome. He says in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Just this total eye roll. He is not impressed. He's skeptical. And, uh, he, he's, he, you know, he hears the claims of Christianity, and uh, it, it's, it, it's not attractive. It's not convincing for him. And, in fact, uh, he actually has good reason. As a, as, a, as a good Jewish man, he would have known the Hebrew Scriptures well, and uh, he would have known in all of the Old Testament and all of the Hebrew Scriptures where it talks about where this Messiah is going to come from. It's, it's not Nazareth. 
And so um, when the Bible does talk about where the Messiah is going to come from, it's, it's, it's never that. So, so here's somebody who actually has a justifiable, legitimate objection with Christianity, with the claims of Christianity. And I, and I love Philip's response. You see what Philip says in verse 47? He just says, come and see. And those are the three words that uh, we're going to drill in on. These are three words I've been meditating on literally for, for years. I think, I think this is such an amazing response because in many ways what this response does is it captures the posture and the disposition of what it means to be a Christian. And so what I want to do today is ask this question, what, is a, what would a church be like or feel like that embodied that same disposition? What would, a church, what would a come and see kind of a church be like? That's the question I want to try to answer, and I'm going to try to answer that in five ways this morning, five points to this sermon, which is audacious and over-the-top, I realize, but I originally had six, just, just, you know, just so you know, but I cut one for the sake of time, and just I felt like I was getting out of control, and I needed to show some restraint. So just five, but we'll get through them quick. It's quick. Um, but we'll go through, look at these one at a time. The first answer to that question, what does a church look like? What would a church, what a come and see church feel like? The first answer is that that kind of church would be hospitable. That kind of church would be hospitable. When, when Nathaniel asks that question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I want you to look at Philip's response. Look, he does, he's not threatened by that. He doesn't take that personally, although I guess he could have. I mean, this guy's kind of making fun of his faith, something that he holds very dear. He's, he's very excited about Jesus, and this guy totally just eye-rolled this thing that means something to him. But he's not threatened by that. He's not offended by that. He just says, come and see which is a way of saying, I'm, I'm taking your question seriously, and I'm providing space for you to be able to ask it. Your questions, your doubts, don't scare me. We'll, we'll work through this together. B Bill Maurer, you know, is the famous um, political commentator, comedian. He said this, quote, religion stops people from thinking. Faith means making a virtue out of not thinking. In fact, Christopher Hitchens said something very similar. If you know Christopher Hitchens, famous author, famous for kind of being a, a, a kind of uh, aggressive atheist, he said this, faith is the surrender of the mind. It is the surrender of reason. And that is the common perception that people have with the church, that when you come to the church, you, you check your brains at the door and you just blindly believe whatever the person up front tells you to believe. That's what we're doing in here, right? I, um, I had the privilege of getting together with, had coffee over the summer with a friend of ours here in Midtown, and uh, she is someone who grew up in the church and yet is now, uh, does not believe in God, um, would say that she's an atheist, I guess, deconstructed in some ways. But uh, she was kind enough to share with me parts of her story, and she told me that when she was younger, when she was maybe a young teenager involved in the church, she would hear things that just kind of like made her make this face of just like, that doesn't quite make sense. That doesn't add up. And so she had enough of these questions sort of piling up in her brain, and so she went to 
the leaders of the church one day and, and asked them her questions. And the response that she received was basically, don't question the Bible, don't question the church, you just believe. And that was a very wounding experience for her because that messaging that she received communicated your questions, uh, we will not take your questions seriously and we will not take you seriously. Your questions are not welcome here. And what's so tragic about that, I mean, there's lots of layers to that story that's tragic, but what's tragic about that story from one perspective is, is because that, that response is such a departure from what you see in Scripture. Scripture shows you that Christianity, the Christian faith, is a, it's a thinking faith. It's, it's more than that, but it's at least that. I mean, all throughout the Bible you hear, um, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength. It is not, it at least means it is not a call to check your brain at the door and just believe blindly on whatever the person up front tells you. In fact, Jesus in this very passage cautions that from happening. Here's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is you have Philip and then Nathaniel, and they go to visit with Jesus. And Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You see that in verse 48. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And biblical scholars do not know what he's referring to there. We don't know what was happening under the fig tree. But whatever it was, it had to have been something really meaningful. Because when Nathaniel hears that, whoa, 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 you saw me under the fig tree? His, his brain explodes. And look at what he says in verse 49. He just blurts out, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He goes from being a rational skeptic to like having this emotional experience where he's worshiping Jesus. You're the son of God. And look at what Jesus says to him. This is so fascinating. Verse 50, he says, okay, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. It's almost like Jesus is saying, that's all it took just for me to say, I saw you under, the, that's all it took for you to believe? You, you're going to need to slow down a little bit. You don't even know who I am yet. You're going to see way more stuff than just this. What Jesus is doing is in some ways saying, okay, it's great that you had this emotional experience, but that's, you're going to need more than that. So if you put all that together, what does that mean for us as a church? For us to be a come and see church means that we want to be a place where people have the freedom and people have the space to be able to raise their questions and wrestle with hard things, wrestle with doubts. You know, a lot of people think, the people that go to church are the people that uh, know what they believe, and they have all their questions answered, and they don't have any doubts, and everybody there believes the same thing. That is not true here at Redeemer. We assume the opposite. We assume that you have questions, you have doubts, you have, you have things that really matter that need to be addressed and need to be wrestled with. doesn't mean that we have all the answers, but it means that this is a space where you can ask them. This is a space where people can come in and, and knowing that belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus is a slow and often messy process. And we're here to say, uh, come and see. You're, you're, the, the questions don't intimidate us. The questions will be taken seriously. That's the kind of church that we want to be, a place that, that is known for being come and see. It's hospitable towards people with real questions and that those questions will be taken seriously. That's the first thing. 
of five. Here's the second. A come and see church in a similar way would not just be hospitable, but that kind of a church would be safe. And here's what I mean by that. Um, If you notice, um, Philip says, come and see. He doesn't say, go and see. Which is to say, it's not like he looks at Nathaniel and says, bro, you need Jesus. I don't, but you do. And so he's over there, so help yourself go over there and go talk to him. But no, when he says, come and see, he's saying, no, no, we both need the same thing. We both need Jesus together. And so I will walk with you to him, even though I've already discovered him, I've already encountered him, but that doesn't make me superior to you. That doesn't mean that I am now suddenly fixed and you're the broken one. No, we need the same thing. If a church believes that, if there's a group of people that actually believed, okay, we are not the saviors. We are just as much of need of Jesus and just as much in need of grace as anyone else. We're not God's solution to the problems of Memphis. If a church actually believed that and thought um, the, 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 the really the thing that unites us is our acute need for Jesus, that kind of church would feel, uh, it wouldn't feel top down. It wouldn't feel condescending. It wouldn't feel judgmental. It would, it would feel like a level playing field, which is another way to say it would feel safe. If you think about, if you picture yourself sitting in a waiting room with other people, filled with other people, and uh, all these people are waiting to go um, be interviewed for a job, you're all, you're all being interviewed for the same job, what would that kind of room feel like? You would feel uh, maybe a sense of competition, you'd feel nervous, you'd feel insecure, You'd feel pressure because, you know, you want the job. You want it more than these people. And so there's this pressure to, I got to outperform them. I've got to be more impressive than them. Uh, There's a pressure to kind of button up and smile and have the right attitude. And I better downplay my weaknesses and I better upsell my strengths. And I know that there there are Christian churches where it can feel like that where you come in and you feel like, okay, there's a pressure. I've got to perform here. I've got to button up. I better smile. I better be enthusiastic. I better have the right language. I better do the right thing. And yet, imagine yourself now in a different waiting room where you're in a bunch of people, with a bunch of people in a waiting room uh, at the ER. And you look around and you say, okay, everybody in this room is sick, and we're all here because we need the same thing. We all need to get in to see a doctor. That's, in many ways, what we want Redeemer to feel like. That's what a come-and-see church would feel like, where we recognize, every single one of us, okay, we're sick and needy and messy and in need of Jesus. And so when other people come in that are, guess what, also sick and needy and dysfunctional and in need of Jesus, they feel like, these are my people. They get it. I, I don't have to... I don't have to jump through hoops around here. I don't have to perform. I don't have to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. That kind of place is safe. That's a come and see sort of thing. Third, a come and see church would also be, thirdly, invitational. Invitational. If you noticed, uh, when Nathaniel challenges this truth claim that Philip makes, uh, Philip does not 
uh, load up his bazooka with arguments and syllogisms and evidence and, ju- and facts and just claps back at this guy with unloading his bazooka, his retort of just putting him in his place and annihilating him and saying, you were wrong and I was right. He, d- he could have done that. He doesn't do that. Instead, he just says, well, okay, come and see. Which is not to say that arguing is wrong or that um, uh, getting in, you know, spirited dialogue with other people is bad. But, but what would he have done? What would Nathaniel, how could Nathaniel have reacted if, uh, if Philip just unloaded the bazooka on him? I mean, it, who knows? But my guess is he, he probably wouldn't have been interested in following Philip to go check out Jesus. If he just got annihilated, he would have, you know, you get shut down. You're like, I'm not interested in whatever you're selling anymore. Which is to say this. Um, when you say come and see, it's not a demand, it's an invitation. And underneath that, the assumption that, that Philip has is, look, Nathaniel, I cannot pressure you into believing in Jesus. I cannot argue you into believing in Jesus. This is something that you are going to have to discover on your own, but I am willing to go with you. I am willing to walk alongside of you as you figure this out, and I'm willing to aid you to the degree that I can, which is to say it's invitational. I I heard from somebody, I don't know where I heard this from, but somebody once said, you can either drive people to Jesus or you can draw people to Jesus. If you drive people to Jesus, it's like the way cattle drivers drive cattle with the whips, and, and you can threaten people that they're going to hell, and you can punish them and judge them and shame them, and maybe they'll go to Jesus. Maybe they'll drive, you know, be driven to Jesus because they're scared, because they're freaked out. Maybe. But how much sweeter is it to draw people, to have the confidence and the humility and the kindness like you see with Philip here that just says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. I put this quote at the beginning of your bulletin, this Madeline LeEngle quote. It's amazing. She says this, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That is infinitely more attractive than taking sledgehammers to people. It is so much more attractive for us to be invitational. And so here's what this would mean for us as a church. If we're going to be an invitational church where, where people might be drawn to Jesus who do not believe in Jesus, that's not going to happen necessarily through the quality of our sermons or the quality of our music or the quality of our coffee. It will happen through the quality of our lives. As, and I hope that that's what people experience. They experience kindness and patience and humility as we're inviting people, drawing people to Jesus with, with our lives and with our words. So that's the, that's the third big thing, that, because the reality is um, most people are not argued into the kingdom. They're loved into the kingdom. So that's what it means to be, to be a come and see kind of church. Invitational. Fourth. And this one will be brief. Um, missional. A come and see church would be missional. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you look at the story, um, Philip is having a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian. 
He's having a conversation with somebody who believes something very differently than he does, somebody who has a very a radically different outlook on the world. <clears throat> and how did that conversation come about? Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. Philip is the one who goes to him. And the principle there for us is that we want to be a church that doesn't just sit around and wait for the Nathaniels of the world to come to us. But to be missional, to be a come and see kind of church means that we are going to them. You know, the, probably 30, as early as 30, 40 years ago, the way that you could function as a church, if you wanted to plant a church, start a church, you just roll into a town or a city or whatever, rent some space and throw up a sign and people would come because it was largely, to some degree, a kind of a, a Christian-y culture where people were looking for churches to show up in. Things have changed a little bit over the past few decades, and we now find ourselves in what, what sociologists are calling a post-Christian culture, which means that the Nathaniels of the world, most of the Nathaniels of the world are not looking for churches and would never step foot in a church. And so, to be a church that is centered on Jesus, to be a come and see sort of church means that we go to the Nathaniels. This is why we are planted in the heart of Midtown Memphis, the part of the city that is maybe statistically, historically, the most unchurched, the most de-churched, the place where the most amount of people are that say, we are not interested in this Jesus thing. Why in the world would we then want to move towards those sort of people for them to come and see Jesus? Is that because we're just that arrogant? Because we're trying to colonize the city or something? No, it's because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the source of all that is good in this life. Jesus is the source of life and joy and beauty and meaning and purpose. And because we love our neighbors here, we want to move towards them for them to receive and to tap into who Jesus is, not from arrogance, not from a position of superiority, not out of judgment, but out of love, with kindness, with uh, humility with boldness, we say, come and see. So, a come and see kind of church would be hospitable, safe, invitational, missional. We are so close. And fifthly, finally, a come and see kind of church would be confident. Here's what I mean. Uh, earlier this summer, I read the book um, How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key, and because it's an amazing book, I became that guy that just annoyingly told everybody, you have to read this, you have to read this, oh my goodness, have you not read this? I just became that guy. Now, the, anytime we tell people, you got to listen to this pod podcast, you got to read this book, you got to watch this, I mean, the, the reason we do that is because we're so confident it's that good. It's going to benefit you. That's the, the only reason you would ever tell anybody to come and see the thing that you're excited about is because you have confidence that it's good. So if we're going to be people that personally and collectively are a come and see kind of a people, it's because we would have confidence that Jesus is that good. And so the question is, how can you have that level of confidence that Jesus is that good to where you'd actually invite people to experience him? Well, look at how the story ends. In the end, look at how Jesus responds to Nathanael in verse 51. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
what in the world does that mean? Um, like I said, Nathaniel was a, a good Jewish man. He would have known the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus is, is referring to the story from Genesis chapter 28. And that story involves a guy named Jacob who falls asleep, and he has this trippy dream. And his dream is that he sees this giant ladder stretching all the way from earth all the way up to heaven. And he sees these angels kind of going back and forth, up and down, ascending and descending on this ladder. And so Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, hey, you know that story? I'm the ladder. When he refers to himself as the Son of Man, this is Jesus' favorite self-given nickname, he's referring to himself. He says, Nathanael, you're going to see angels going up and down on me. I'm the ladder. What does that mean? He's saying, I am the access point between, between earth and heaven. I am the way that heaven becomes accessible. You stick with me. You're going to see heaven open up. You're going you're to see connection to the divine through me. Now, here's what's fascinating about this response, because here's Nathaniel. He's got all these questions. He's got all these things that are still rattling around in his head, even though he's come to believe in Jesus in some way. And, and Jesus does not poke holes in his logic. Jesus doesn't uh, argue back with him. Jesus looks at him, and therefore he looks at us, and he says, the answer to all of your questions is just me. Underneath all your questions, underneath all your doubts, what you really need is not a proposition. What you really need is a person, namely me. Now, this is, this is so radically different from any other religious or non-religious perspective in the world. If you look at every other religion and boil it down, every other religion is basically saying the same thing. Different details, different uh, content matter, but the logic is the same, which says this. If you want to get up to heaven, if you want to connect with the divine, if you want nirvana, if you want enlightenment, climb a ladder, get busy, believe the right things, devote yourself to the right stuff, keep climbing, uh, attend religious services, uh, watch your language, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex before marriage, keep climbing, care for the poor, advocate for the marginalized, keep climbing. And if you serve and if you volunteer and if you stay away from the bad stuff long enough and successfully enough, maybe in the end, you'll get all the way to the top. Maybe God will let you in because he's seen how faithful you have been if you've climbed up the ladder. And it's not just religion. Secular, non-religious perspectives of the world are basically saying the same thing. Look at our American, our American culture says, if you want happiness, if you want fulfillment, if you want enlightenment, you got to climb up the ladder. You better get to work. You can climb up the corporate ladder and get to the top. You got to be successful, make a name for yourself, make the money, buy the house, buy all the toys, keep climbing, get on the treadmill, work out, stay thin. You better be thin. Keep climbing. Uh, we say things like this, you better be organized and efficient and socially conscious and down-to-earth and well-read and fashionable and practice mindfulness and shop local and eat organic. Keep climbing. And if you keep climbing, if you believe the right things, you work hard enough, you do the right things, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get the fulfillment. You'll be satisfied. You'll find meaning in life. 
And Jesus looks at both of these systems and says, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I have come to do for you what is such a burden for you to take on yourself, which you can't do yourself. I have come down to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I have come not to add burdens to you, but to take them off. Every other religion, every other non-religious viewpoint basically says the same thing. They say, if you want fulfillment in life, here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do if you want to find happiness or nirvana or enlightenment. Christianity is the only thing that comes along and says, here is what God has done in order to find you. And what has God done? He has climbed up on a cross. Why? To die for the very people who doubt him. (laughs) To die for the very people who question him. And for the people who follow him, to die for the very, very people who fail him over and over and over and over, which means Christianity is the only system in the world that comes in and says the person of Jesus is the key to it all. It is grace that obliterates the pressure, that obliterates this need to frenziedly climb up the ladder and make a name for yourself. It's, he's done it all. He has accomplished what you and I could never accomplish for ourselves. What what could be better than that? What could be more freeing than that? What could be more thrilling than that? And then to know that the Lord of the universe loves you this much, that he's willing to do everything on your behalf, everything. When you begin to taste and see that the Lord is good, that's what gives you the confidence to invite others to come and see, not from a position of superiority, not from a position of judgment or from hate, but out of love, because you want people to taste and see the same thing that you have found so thrilling and so precious to you. So my prayer for us and for me personally and for you individually is that we would be people that taste and see that the Lord is good And as a result, we might be a place that says and feels more and more and more like a come and see kind of a church, a come and see kind of community, because we know that he's that good. Well, consider that uh, an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you that you are better than we imagine, uh, and what you offer to us is, uh, is, is simultaneously harder and easier than we imagine. Thank you for the freedom that your grace provides, for the humility that your grace provides. And I pray that as, as we hear and even meditate on just briefly your grace and your goodness and your mercy to us, that it would so get into our bones, so get into our souls that we might be people that delight ourselves in the, in the Lord, knowing that you delight yourself in us. And that as a result, we might be people that are uh, so hospitable and feel safe to people and uh, are moving towards people missionally with an invitation and with a boldness and a confidence that only the gospel can give us. So do this work in us. We cannot manufacture this. We cannot create this. You have to work this in us. So please do so for your namesake and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.